Research shows that 65% of Kenyan women and girls are unable to afford basic sanitary pads. And one consequence, girls often rely on men in their lives for period products, and some girls engage in transactional sex in order to secure sanitary products, perpetuating a patriarchal cycle of reliance and exploitation. And that's just one such concern when it comes to period poverty. But for the sake of this particular episode in this podcast, my first time, we're focusing on periods in informal settlements and how girls and women, the majority, are struggling to access menstrual products and what this does for their self-esteem, for their ability to show up, and for their ability to live a life of dignity. My first time was scary. A relief. Awkward. My first time. My first time. My first time. I have Lavender and Benna with me. Benna, your story. My first time, I remember it vividly and, and also vaguely. At that particular point, prior to the fact, my maternal grandmother, may I soul rest in peace, uh, constantly took time to educate her grandchildren on issues of sexual and reproductive health. That did not really resonate with me because it was something which we would often laugh at and giggle about because it was just not a reality. But then when the reality struck, uh, when I was uh, 11 years old in primary school, um, I remember it was one of the games days. So in my yellow t-shirt and navy blue shorts, I stand up to go out to the field. And one of my friends points out, "Ah, your your shirt looks soiled. I quickly looked back, uh, felt ashamed, and uh, shrugged it like... uh, it must be the popsicle I was carrying in my pocket. And so I took a sweater, quickly wrapped it around my waist. And because it's something which was not really discussed then amongst even my peers, I decided not to even talk about it or address it. And so when I got home, I still continued with the, sh- with the silence, with the shame uh, hovering over my head. I didn't tell my mom, but because I knew where she put her stack of sanitary towels, I just helped myself to some. Mothers being mothers, uh, she, she also noticed that there were some changes. And so we had the conversation. And uh, from then, it really took a lot for me to just, you know, there's the bin and wrap it, put it there. So I'd often want to hide it in different places, which will often be found just shame and lack of confidence in managing and living that particular reality really led to to me at that particular point stagnating and not really looking at it from the point of view of this is a natural process. Lavender, your story. I remember it was in 2010 when I was in class 8. I had this pain. I couldn't walk that steadily. I was like struggling to walk. But in my mind, I didn't know it was something to do with menstrual. So when I reached home... Uh, I found my mom, she had visitors, so I just mentioned to her that I'm not just feeling well. That's why I'm back home this early. Uh, on going to the other room, I noticed, like, it, I felt like something broke. Then the pain went away. Uh, on looking down, I, I saw blood. We always had um, girls session in primary schools. So uh, when I saw the blood, I know it was uh, my periods. Upon going to share this with my mom and she has visitors, I had to find a way because was shameful so I took her by the side and told her that this is what has happened and you know that shock like this is so so soon and 
So she took the 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 party the mandate of going to buy the parts for me and she had to find a way of telling the visitors that I need to attend to lavender. She's not feeling that well so that they can go. I think she was trying to also hide it from the, the visitors that lavender is going through this. So I remember, um, I can't say we were that uh, stable at that time because she was trying to feed us and you know now this has come up so she had to use her money to go look for sanitary parts and I was like, does it have to be like that? No, it's it's like I'm. Uh, she has taken the responsibility of buying that and uh, doing away with what will we eat at night. Yeah, from that day, uh, she had an open conversation with me. She told me about, you know, now this is it, and this is what will happen if you engage in this and this, and this is how you should do it, this is how you should not do it. I remember hiding this from my siblings for the longest time because when I was changing my parts or doing anything. I was doing it when no one else is there. Yeah, it took me time to accept the fact that I'm going through that. It also took me time to accept and tell it to my friends in school because I didn't know who was going through the same. Yeah. This is why I'm passionate about having these conversations. When people share their first times, it brings to light so many sub-themes. You know, you've both talked about hiding, shame, embarrassment, which I think a lot of us can resonate with. That sounds like my own story. And so as we pursue this conversation around period poverty and how we can begin to really intentionally address it and end it. So my question to you, Benna, is a little bit about the work you do and how we can begin to unlearn the stereotypes of shame and embarrassment when it comes to periods and when it comes to addressing period poverty as well. Thank you. I work at Umande Trust. This is an organization that uh, works with communities in marginalized areas to address issues of their rights, putting in place dignified structures that accommodate both women and men, and uh, having segregated facilities where women can feel safe when accessing sanitation services, uh, especially during their menstruation uh, periods. Uh, one of the things that we've also been trying to highlight is just the aspect of uh, infrastructure around uh, menstrual hygiene products, something which has lacked uh, for a very long time. I don't know whether the designs are mainly done by men who don't really consider, uh, I mean, women have this monthly cycle that needs to be catered for. So our work in provision of water and sanitation services ha have also worked to advance uh, the hygiene agenda for women, not only in the informal settlements, but also in schools where we work in. Two years ago, we also piloted an incinerator project just to deal with now the waste management because uh, menstrual hygiene management has, is something which has been overlooked when it comes to the overall water and san sanitation service delivery within schools and in informal settlements. I really like how you spoke to designing that's what creates a lot of this lack of access is because you have these structures that don't support this natural biological process. Um, and as we come back to you to give us a, another broad view of how we can advance uh, period, I would say period justice in Kenya, because we must, we don't have a choice. There's this issue that's been talked about of the paths that people have to cross in order to access sanitary products. Take us through Lavender. You mentioned you felt guilty that your mom now had to consider pads mm -hmm. over food on the mm -hmm. table. And that's a daily reality for many. Take us through the depths of period poverty 
and what that has made a lot of girls and women be forced to do to access these products. I'd say with the experience I've had with girls giving my story, you find that most of the parent, of course, you'll tend to go for food uh, over the sanitary product, you see. So uh, you'd find poverty has become a major um, aspect uh, in hindering girls from getting their menstrual products. Like one of them told me, I had to resort to going to my boyfriend for me to get that sanitary pad. And of course, the boyfriend can't give you just, uh, or can't buy you a pad just like that. And most of them, you'll find they're living with their daddies, maybe their uh, other relatives. They're not so free with them. Now you have to find another way of getting. We've we've had issues of girls going to the border border guys. It's uh, at, at times I tend to like uh, question like why the border border guys? How do they even connect to these sanitary situation, sanitary pads? So like uh, most of the girls will tell you. Nona time na panda ndudi uko free unaongea na mtu wa pikipiki. And that time will maybe ni ule mwenye anakubeba kila siku when going to school. So you're able to tell this person, eh, leo nasikia hivi, ama leo nimekuwa hivi, nataka ninunuliwe pad na pad nafaa kwenda class na siko hivi siko sawa. You see, so the boda boda guy will of course help because amefanya kazi amekubeba, you see. But again, we have this issue of poverty where parents tend to think of the basic needs more and forget the menstrual issue. Because it's one person in the house going through period, so it's not like to them it's not a big issue but again they don't think uh, they don't come to think that if you don't try to bring this girl close and try to show that it's something that can be dealt with in a very different way apart from going to this man uh, it brings uh, every other issue in girls involving in other things and not communicating again to you that they had to do this for them to get that that part mm. yeah you've literally drawn the ecosystem mm. lack of communicating leads to resorting to sure, other means yeah. and then um, and it feeds the cycle because again the repercussions yeah. a lot of the time for transacting for the pads yeah. has its own um, issues whether that means unwanted pregnancies whether that means disease school yeah. dropout Bena what can you add to that in terms of how do we begin to create this affordability number one number two how do we also create a system where conversations Amongst families, amongst communities, there's a freedom to talk about this natural biological process so that that empathy and support is felt from the beginning. What are your thoughts on those two? Um, yes, J- just to add on to what uh, Lavenda was mentioning, just in terms of statistics, uh, you find that the Ministry of Education did uh, research in 2016 and noted that 54% of Kenyan girls have challenges when it comes to access of uh, this of MHM products. Mm. One of the projects that we are doing in terms of looking at uh, vulnerabilities that women and girls face when it comes to access to water and sanitation facilities, uh, you find that uh, disconnects also uh, appear within families where a girl can report an incident but the parents or caregivers do not take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And so there needs to be that trust, relationship building within the home for children to feel confident, girls to feel confident to confide to their caregivers and also parents to give the primary education around this topic so that they do not absolve, uh, I mean, they they do not uh, relegate the aspect of education to teachers, but then they need to really be told about the importance of this. And that's why it has to be an all of us conversation. To your point, everybody needs to get involved. Men. Boys, um, teachers, religious leaders need to get involved. Um, I have about three more questions. 
how do we begin? And sometimes I feel like we ask this question to the point where it's frustrating, but this is the reason I, I wanted to bring these out on this platform. How do we move from policy to implementation, number one? And then how do we all collect? I think the bigger one is how do we move from policy to implementation? I'd like to get your point of view, Benna, but even Lavender, as somebody who is, you're young, you work a lot with young people, you're on the ground with young people. What are they saying about how they want to show up in changing the lives of their communities and other communities like theirs? Because a lot of the time, it's important to note that those who are living that truth also know what solutions need to be done and they know where it can start from. So Benna, briefly, a little bit about how do we move from policy to implementation with with one or two strong recommendations that you feel need to be considered. Um, and then, Lavender, I'd really like to hear from you. What about participation from those who are most affected? What do they want us to hear? What do they want us to know? How do they want to show up as well in beginning to shift what's happening around them? So, Benna. Yes, uh, so we, we have the menstrual hygiene policy that is quite extensive, that really captures the issues as they are. The goodwill is something which has not been there. And so we really need to point or package the problem in such a way that we draw the masses uh, to join in this conversation. Because we say that this is a collective responsibility. We can't only leave it for the government. We have so many other actors involved. So then how do we package this particular issue for people to understand why they need to care, why they need to act, why they need to be concerned. Why they need to care, why they need to act, why they need to be concerned and getting everyone on board. That's very well said because this is an all of us journey. For you who has walked this journey of the, the fear of not having access to sanitary pads, for you who's also known peers and friends who've walked this journey and who still continue to, what is your cry? What is your call to action? And how can you all begin to show up in making sure that government, to Benna's point, make sure that they begin to listen? So number one, what's, what's the cry when you still speak to girls right now who are saying, I don't have these products? When you speak to girls who are telling you, I had to seek out sex for pads, what are they also saying that they need the world to hear? Uh, I'd say the most thing that they always need the world to hear is that first they need to be involved for them to speak for themselves. Grown, I, I can't say like to say my lavender now has gone there now saying you know these girls are going through this. But if you get it from a thirteen-year-old girl outside there, I think it's something that will somehow trigger the government. I believe it's something because we've been having statistics, we've been having this evidence, we've been bringing everything to the table, but we've not been having the actual outcome or the action that has come to curb this situation. We have the the youth-friendly services, of course, all over, but are, are they really friendly? These girls really yearn for information. Giving them parts is one Having the information is another. Another thing is, of course, we have the organizations that uh, give pads to girls outside here. But like in Kibra, it's a very, very big uh, informal settlement. You can't reach to every other girl outside there. Like, for example, now Polycom makes pads, yes. But now we are dealing with 50 schools. There are not 50 schools alone in Kibra. We have very many schools. Now, if you're reaching out to only these 50 schools, you've just dealt with a quarter 
of a number from with the girls. But now we want to reach out to every other girl, even people in machine. I think like these girls really need these parts. But we're now dealing with just a number, not the entire. So we need community. to scale it. You've, we need you've, to scale it. you've raised some good points. Since 2018, according to CS George Magoha of Education, the government of Kenya has spent 3.17 billion shillings on sanitary towels for 7,515,864 girls. It's a matter of human dignity and there are no traders in between. All good. How is that being utilized? Who's received them? And to Lavender's point, who hasn't received them? Because I think the, the good intention is there and we laud the government for doing that. But I believe from what a lot of you may have heard, probably, Lavender and Benna, you can speak to this as we wind up, it's reached a select few. And even then, it's reached them for a short period of time. So what does it mean for the everyday majority menstruating girls and women who you both work for? Well, they might have allocated uh, those particular resources for that use. But when it comes to the practicality where the rubber meets the road, there's no impact. Uh, we can point to the case of uh, a story that made uh, headline news where a girl actually committed suicide uh, because uh, she, she, she got a period in school and she was sent away from home and that shame just really drove her to that particular uh, fact. So you're talking about a life and death situation that government sadly is uh, playing around, around with because they are so out of touch with the reality that they'd rather be comfortable giving citizens numbers in terms of money spent and not really feeling like they need to be accountable. And so it, is, it really is a morality issue that we've gotten to a point where people do not care what other people's children face just because they have the resources to take care of their own. So as long as government's policies are not in check with the reality and as long as they continue allocating resources in Kahoot to just, you know, advance their own agenda, then we are not making any progress. Very well put. As long as they are in Kahoot and advancing their own agenda, nothing gets done. Yes. Okay, and there we have it, the recommendations. Um, you talked about integrating the voices of youth advocates and youth girls, um, and you've talked about accountability as well. And I think as well, you know, Benna, you've spoken to looking at the wider infrastructure to support those who are menstruating, but also looking at how exactly do they come up with this amount? What is it allocated for? How is it being done? And I think if I'm not mistaken, um, a strong recommendation coming out of here is we all need to be at the table. Even when those allocations are being decided, there needs to be some inclusion of those who are at the front lines, people like yourselves. Um, and so I know we're going to come back to this. I Probably my next challenge is to get somebody from the ministry to talk to us a little bit about how they allocated and why. But for now, all I can do is thank the two of you for the work you are doing in communities. To allow communities to surround girls and women with the support that's needed when it comes to accessing products and information. It can never be enough. Foot soldiers like yourselves deserve a lot of support, a lot of our recognition and I know that the journey is intense, but let's not tire. Let's not tire. Progress is fragile. Um, my first time seeks to break the stigma, but also highlight the wider issues on the same. So thank you for being part of the My First Time podcast conversations. I should say, see you later. Thank you. My first time. My first time. My first time. My first time. My first time.